we believe in the encounter, the power of God to encounter us and change us. This week, we're looking at that out of the overflow of every encounter, there's an exchange. Now, who of you knows what's coming up September 7th, this Wednesday? Yes, you guessed it. Apple is going to have their big fall reveal day. <clears throat> I know someone knew that in this room, but you didn't want to give yourself up. That's right. Tim Cook is going to stand on a stage, and they're going to have the coolest presentation, and every reporter, every designer, every young person and old person that's interested is going to tune in. And they're going to watch the new products that Apple is going to roll off, probably one of them being on the 7th of September, the iPhone 7. Whoa. <laughs> and the crazy thing is I think about Reveal Day and Apple and the brand and the anticipation they've created is at the end of the day, how much has really changed... <laughs> From Apple iPhone 1 to 7, okay? It still does the same thing, just not, you know, just sort of faster. Are you with me? Now, there's some cool bells and whistles, and I ain't a hater. I got a 6S. For all you Android people, we're going to have a prayer service after this service. <laughs> and for all you flip phone people, man, you are just cool. <laughs> and we welcome you here, flip phoners. It's all good. For those of you who don't even have a cell phone, you're cooler. You're like, you got to come over to my house to talk to me, and that's all good. But there's this anticipation, and even on, on my way to, um, what were we doing? It was three nights ago, whatever we were doing, we were driving. On K-Love, Christian Radio, there was this uh, updated news feed, and they said, Samsung has an exchange program. You can just bring your old phone and exchange and exchange and exchange. Exchange your old for your new. Well, for like an infinitely larger, um, important point, when we talk about Core value number two, exchange. We're not talking about when you exchange your bondage and your brokenness and your past and your sin that you get a slight improvement of hardware and software. <laughs> Scripture tells us that if you're in Christ, the old is gone. Amen. And the new creation has come. And so it's cool, and I'll probably watch some of the highlights on Wednesday. My 6S is going to be just fine. <laughs> and many of us, we've been exchanging and bartering with every other thing. We trade in our cars, we trade in our homes, we trade in our stuff. We buy the newer and the bigger, but there's something about until we finally settle the issue of the divine exchange, our hearts will always be restless. Because the bummer about just exchanging a peripheral outward stuff is that there's always going to be another fall apple launch day. 
There's always gonna be something newer and flashier and bigger and better. But when we serve Christ, as difficult as it is and can be, if we abide in him, it grows sweeter and sweeter and greater and greater. We believe in, at Cornerstone Church, we believe in the divine exchange. That when someone encounters the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is always an exchange. Sin for salvation, guilt for grace, fear for faith, lost for found, joy for mourning, praise for despair, beauty for ashes, wholeness for brokenness, freedom for captivity, servanthood for stewardship, all family for isolation, adoption for, listen, we believe in all of this and more. That when someone, when a, when a person comes to the realization that they are woefully and utterly inadequate to really change themselves for, for the sake of eternity, and they look to Christ and confess and acknowledge his sufficiency, there's an exchange that takes place. And before we go into sort of the nuances of sin and salvation and guilt and grace and bondage for freedom, what made and what makes the divine exchange possible? Is that a fair enough question? Like, why can there be an exchange? How does the economy of the kingdom of God really work? This is a phenomenal verse, and we're going to unpack it for a minute. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was, what? Rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become So as we think about the exchange and we sing about the, the grandeurs of God's grace and his glory and the goodness of the gospel, beloved, we are not just singing some happy thing. We're singing about the reality that's available because Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that we could exchange our spiritual bankruptcy and poverty for the riches of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. How did Jesus become poor? Philippians 2 says this, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very nature God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But what's that verse seven say? But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when we go back to our passage and we're, the question we're answering at the very beginning is how does the exchange work and why is it even a possibility? The only reason you and I can exchange our sin for a salvation is because Jesus 
exchanged the riches of being the uncreated second member of the Trinity, holy from every angle, the, the, the rightful heir of the universe, the rightful heir of the Psalm 24, the one who made the world and all who live in it. Jesus gave up his privileged posture and position that he shared with the Father and the Spirit for eternity past and he came and he emptied himself, making a space for an impoverished humanity to be filled with the life that's truly life. The only reason we believe in the divine exchange is because we believe that we serve a God in Christ who instead of using his rights, the word he uses is exploit, instead of exploiting his own rights for his own measure and his own will and his own pomp and circumstances, Jesus foregoes his rights, he empties himself so that you and I can exchange our emptiness for the fullness that now is available because he poured it out. The great exchange, the divine exchange. How is it possible? Isaiah 53, 12, it tells us that God, a prophecy of the crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus 700 plus years earlier, tells us this, because he's going to be pierced, because he's going to shed his blood, because Jesus is gonna lay down his life for you and for me and for the world, I'm going to give him a portion among the great. Why? Because he poured out his life. So when we talk about exchange around here and we believe in the beauty of grace, we're not just flippantly saying, oh, it's just easy and it's, just, it's available. It is available. But what we want to say today and this morning is that exchange came at a great cost and a great price. It cost him everything so that you and I could get in on his thing, which is namely making all things new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has broken in and onto the scene right in the middle of the old creation. And in the midst of this whole journey, we get to be a billboard as we live out that exchange to a world that's longing for God to make things new. They just don't know it yet. We can be a foretaste, a sign, and a wonder of what is fully yet to come. The divine exchange. He was rich in glory. He was rich in prominence. He was rich by virtue of his position being God and relationship. He was rich in everything and in every way. And he emptied himself so that we could be full of him. The great exchange, the divine exchange is that Jesus took our place so that we could find our place in him. Now, in light of Jesus emptying himself, exchanging his riches and his glory, trading his crown of glory for a crown of shame, trading his robe of dignity for a robe of disgrace, what should our response be? Run to Jesus. He did that for me, for you, for us. Now, the bummer is most of us think it's just the really, really bad people who need to get in on this exchange and your elbow on your neighbor. 
the really bad ones, the ones that got the rap sheet, the one that's got the story, the ones that have the, I ran away from God and then I came back and I, listen, most of us can, we can get our minds around the reality of those really bad people who need a savior. And we see the gospel, we see Jesus, and we see the obvious working of his grace work in the big sinners, like the prostitutes and the tax collectors. We see him touching those that no one would touch, like the lepers and the woman with the issue of blood. And all of this is absolutely true. Jesus did come to save the worst. Aren't you glad? He came to save and to grab those who were the farthest from God, Ephesians 2, 13 and 17, and through his sacrifice to bring them close to God. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, those who broke God's heart, broke God's law, those who aren't living out the design and the purpose for their life and they've declared enmity and tyranny and war against their creator. Yes, Jesus came for those people, the ones who are, who are blatantly at odds with him. Aren't you glad for that? He says the sick are the ones who need a doctor. In Mark chapter two. It's not the healthy. I came for the sick. And we think to ourselves, man, they are the ones who really need Jesus. You know what I mean by really? No one else judges. Come on, can we just be honest in this place? Oh, I know you're a screw up. I was a screw up. You know, we, know, we do that to each other. We think in those terms and we think that the problem with comparison in Christianity is that there's always going to be someone worse than you and then there's always going to be someone that's better than you. But the reality is, we don't measure our righteousness or our goodness against each other. It's all against the holy standard of the person and nature of God. And when we're placed against God, even though we want to compare ourselves to each other so we can have our pecking order of pride and I'm good and that person's not as good. You know, I'm, I'm just being real. It's what we do. The reality is that we are all measured against the perfection and glory and holiness of God which is a sobering reality because all of us then at the foot of the cross bowed before the, the bludgeoned, bloodied, broken, battered body of Jesus, we all find that, whoa, maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was because my sin put him there. Your sin put, well, how many sins? One, well, James 2 tells us if you break one little law, it's like you broke all of them. And the problem with that many of us, I'm not talking to those in this room who know they were far from God because I know I was far from God. But there's a word that God wants to share with us for those who feel like, oh, I mean, I sort of had to exchange something, but I'm basically kind of good. This word's for you, so buckle up. <laughs> because here's why. Please listen. There is nothing more debilitating to the work of Christianity in our culture, in our world, than an ungrateful Christian. There's nothing more debilitating, there's nothing more deterring, distracting in a culture, in a world that's searching and longing for purpose and meaning, that when they meet a Christian, and the Christian's response to them is that, you know, I'm, Jesus sort of made a difference in my life. 
But the most compelling truth and reality in our culture, in our city, in our world, is when our hearts are aflame with gratitude because we knew who we were and who we would be apart from Jesus and we live out of the overflow of a gracious, grateful heart for his goodness in our life. And I'm convinced that one of the things that cause us to go down that path of non-compelling, of non-gratitude, is because we take ourselves way too seriously and don't really realize how much we need God. Mm-hmm. We're just basically okay. I want you to know he didn't come to basically save the okay ones. He came and he always comes to save those who know they need saving. There's this unbelievable passage in the book of, of Revelation, uh, chapter three. Now, this is a church that, that John, the, the, the beloved, John the apostle is writing to. So these are people who believe in Jesus. And he's writing to the church in Laodicea. And it says this. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. Whoa. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, then don't be mad at me. These are red letters. These are, this is Jesus speaking to his church. So don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. Because you're neither, because somehow what you first received that changed everything about your life, and that's why I love being around new believers, it's like, Kid in the candy score 24-7. Jesus saved me. Come on, how many remember that phase in your journey? Or maybe you're in that phase right now. Or maybe you've been following Jesus 40 years and you're still in that phase. Well, praise God. I know your deeds. What once caused you to burn in regards to the gospel, in regards to my kingdom, in regards to the reality of where I've taken you from and where I'm taking you to. You used to be hot. And you're not fully cold because you at least believe in me still. So you're not fully cold, but you're just in this lukewarm, wishy-washy place. And what does Jesus Christ say to those who are lukewarm? It's okay. Just keep hanging in that place. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, and this is us. This is me. I'm not preaching down on anybody. I can live here. You say, I have, I'm rich. I'm not like as bad as that person that I passed on the streets or as bad as that person in my neighborhood or not my workplace. I've, I've got wealth. I don't need a thing. But here's Jesus. You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, before you get all mad at Jesus, not me, I want you to realize that Jesus, he sees the games that we play. He sees the things that we reach to and the edifices we build around our little lives and our little existence to prop ourselves up in the eyes of man. He sees through all of that. Uh Uh-oh. He sees through all of our propensities to try to look for other things other than him that we identify ourselves with, like our bottom line, like the amount of followers we got on Facebook or comments that we get. 
But Jesus is telling the church in Laodicea, and he's telling us today, listen, if you're looking to any other thing other than me to be your identity, I want you to know that it's a straw house at best. And Jesus tells us in another place that we live in a world where rain is coming, winds are blowing, and fire rages. And if you're living in a straw house, did you know that doesn't spell good for you and me? I know your deeds, but you don't realize that you're looking. Listen, in Laodicea, just a little background to this church, it was the banking center of the entire region. And we know what that means today. And the town also had the best medical school for optology so that you're, 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 you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It also had, because of the way the farmers breeded the, the black sheep, it had the best wool, so they were known for their best garments, they were known for their gold, and they were known for their optometry, the, the medical. So Jesus is saying, you're relying upon all of the things that, that are around you and that you've propped your life up on, but do you realize that in the end, those things can't save you, only I can. And so that's why it's such a revolutionary word. And the only thing that Laodicea didn't have, by the way, even though they had everything else, they didn't have living water. They didn't have fresh, cold water. So isn't it interesting that because God made us in his image, we can read uh, the, the tabloids and the newspapers and, and Forbes, Fortune 500, and whoever's the richest and the wealthiest, because God has given us authority and power as his image bearers, you know, you've seen people and the lives that people can build for themselves. How many know men can build impressive lives? But like Laodicea, the only problem that if you and I, instead of saying yes to the divine exchange today, whether you think you're far from God or you don't think you really need the exchange, I'm telling you, we all need it, that we can build a pretty stinking impressive life. But like Laodicea, we don't have access in and of ourselves to that which actually in the end will sustain us and give us life. We don't have water. That's why Jesus said, I am the living water. So what does he tell them? I counsel you in light of, even though you don't think you're that bad and you're cool and you got your stuff and your things and your, your house and your finances and you're relying upon who, who you are and your culture and your pedigree and sort of your place in society, you sort of lost track of me. That's sort of a big deal. Here's what my counsel for you is. Here's what he tells them. Let's lean in. I counsel you to buy from me gold. Remember, they're known as the banking center of the entire region. Buy it from me. It's refined in the fire. Now, we don't buy stuff from God. We don't buy our salvation, but he's using trade language because they know it's deep in their cultural DNA and identity. We know what he's talking about. Instead of relying upon what we've got in the bank account, he wants us to buy from him the, the gold that's been refined, which always represents cleansing and purification from sin. In scripture, refining fire always represents purity. Jesus is saying, your gold is a crummy cover-up for the sin in your heart. You need to buy gold that's refined in the fire. And he's saying, you listen, so that you can actually become rich. Isn't that good? You see the exchange. You're relying on all the wrong things. I do want you to be rich, but just in the currency that doesn't fluctuate with the market. That's a good one. I want you to be rich, church. 
but rich in love, rich in me, rich in my mercy and grace. And he goes on to say, and I want you to buy white clothes, white clothes, white linen always represents righteousness and purity. Again, it's saying the same thing. Even though you've got all the good sheepers and sheep herders and you've got the best clothing in the whole region and you're all Louis Vuitton or whatever's cool, I don't know. I don't even know a brand that's cool, but... No, 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 trade your best garments because I want to clothe you with that which you could never clothe yourself in, namely my purity, my forgiveness, my righteousness. But you got to exchange not just your really, really bad stuff, but the good stuff that you're relying on more than me. And then here, he just pulls the, Jesus is brilliant. And I want to give you solve. I want to give you the ointment. Even though you're known throughout the region for the medical expertise and optometry in the region, the, the doctors can't fix your eyes. I can. So that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. Don't be offended. Repent. If you're here this morning like me, and yeah, you're maybe not feeling like, well, I don't do all the bad stuff. I'm not like that person. <clears throat> but yet we rely on a number of other things and we lose the reality of grace in our lives and how desperate we really need God's word to us today. To me is, Chad, repent. Don't look to anything else, not even your gifts or your strengths or your abilities or your bottom line or whatever. If you're relying on anything else other than me, you're leaning against a edifice, a building that eventually is going to topple and crumble because that building is built on what you can do. It's not built on what I can do and have done and will do. And so he says, here I am, I'm standing at the door. Why am I telling you this, church? Because I want to be you're everything. I want to share a table with you. I want to fellowship with you. Does that make sense? I feel like it's a word for the church because many of us, we, we, we've lost that sense of awe and wonder at what God has really done in us and where he's taken us from. And then we got mature and then we learned some things and we realize we're not really all that bad anymore. And then we start relying on other things instead of staying in that hot, fiery center of his love. And isn't it interesting, gold and white clothing and wool and fire, does anyone remember what Jesus looked like in, in Revelation chapter one? His hair was like wool, his garments were white, his eyes were like fire, gold sash. Do you think John is accidentally saying, hey, I'm the one that you need? I'm the only one that can satisfy. Don't look or reach or lean on anything else but me. The Apostle Paul, and then we close with this, said it the best, the best, the best, the best, the best. The Apostle Paul was arguably one of the brightest guys around. And in the book of Philippians, this is just a wonderful passage to end with. It's so profound. There's people that Paul is talking to and who are boasting about how awesome they are and their pedigree and what they've accomplished. And Paul's like, you guys are so dumb. <laughs> and then watch, he does this and he's such a brilliant uh, 
communicator. He, he gets on their level and starts speaking their language, and then he pulls the rug out, and the rug is the gospel. Watch this. You all are boasting and thinking about how amazing you are and all that you've accomplished and your good stuff and your this and that. He says, though, I, I have reasons for confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, I've got more. On the eighth day, I was circumcised, so I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm from the people of Israel, so I'm from the right place. The tribe of Benjamin, son at my right hand. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law. I'm a Pharisee, so not only am I like a good religious guy from the right side of the tracks and the right family, the right pedigree, the right ethnicity, I'm also like the best in that circle. I'm a Pharisee. Like I keep all of the rules, even the 600 plus that we made up. As for zeal, not only was I a good Jew before I met Jesus, I was really good. I tried to snuff out every other religion. So I persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on rule keeping, I was faultless. Whoa. Are you tracking with me? So if you just do a little bit of study, and we're, I'm almost done, he just brought up his religious pedigree his cultural ethnic pedigree, his tribal pedigree, his educational pedigree, his social standing and pedigree, his pietistic righteousness by rule-keeping pedigree, his legalism, his Phariseeism, which was the most respected school of thought in his day. He just, to all those who are boasting and everything else except for Jesus, he's like, I've got more than you. <laughs> in every way, I'm a winner. You lose, I'm better. But look at this. But whatever were to my gains, compared, listen, this is the great exchange lived out. Compared to what, who I was and all the things I had going for me, nothing compared to what Jesus has offered me. Whatever were to my gains, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. What's the them? All the things that you and me, even though we've already prayed a prayer many times, if we don't keep in that fiery center of gratitude and being uh, humbled by his grace and mercy, all the things that we prop ourselves up with and look down on everybody else. But there's no one like that in this room, so let's move on. Paul is saying everything you would ascribe to possess culturally, religiously, ethnically, in your generation, everything that would prop you up and make you have the props and you'd be the guy and the girl, that when you walked into the room, everyone knew you walked into the room. What Paul is saying, not only do I not look to those, they are garbage compared to who and what I've received in the exchange when I received Christ. And that word for garbage is skybala, which is poo-poo stinky. <laughs> garbage isn't strong enough. You don't understand. Not only is the exchange so radical, what I've received in Christ, compared to that, and to compare to the things that I used to rely on, it's like skybala. so that I can gain Christ. Look, he's even using financial like gain and loss, gain and loss. Again, the divine exchange so that I could have Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 
So what's our response this morning? Our response is to exchange whether you are far from God today and you're like, Chatty, I came because my friend made me because they said they were gonna buy me lunch. Well, praise the Lord, you've got a good friend. (laughs) Or maybe you're here today and you're just like, man, I'm checking the church thing out and I never considered that it's not just the really bad stuff that can keep me from God, it's the good stuff that I rely on more than him that can keep me from experiencing God. And if that's you, guess what? It's good news for all of us. Whether we, we know we are totally, utterly lost and incapable or we're sick and tired of relying on the things that every single fall, something new and better comes out, so I've got to exchange it for the next new thing and it just never satisfies and touches me where I need to be changed. I want you to know that today you can experience the divine exchange of God's grace, of God's goodness. And it says in 1 Corinthians, I love this, that God chose the lowly things of the world the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one, what's that say? No one may boast before him. Not the ones who've done all the right things or those who've not done one right thing. Compared to him, there's no boasting. But it's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, amen, who has become for us wisdom from God. He is our righteousness. So he's the means for our right standing with God and our right standing with man. He's our holiness. He's the means for our cleansing and our washing. We don't wash ourselves and do enough right things. He's the means for our redemption. The psalmist says, what can someone give in exchange for their life? The psalmist answers, nothing. But Jesus has exchanged his life so that we could experience life. He's our redemption. Verse 31, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. Jesus wants to exchange those things we cling to and identify ourselves with, our bottom line, our pedigree, our race, our financial or educational accomplishments. He wants to exchange all of that for the life that is found in him this morning. And will you do it? Will you say yes? you'll be getting way more than an upgrade or a new software or a round edge or square edge or glass case or waterproof. You'll get a new identity, a new nature, a new name, a new future, a new present, a new family. And the exchange, the beauty of it, this, this, this market, it doesn't ever close. He's here. Christ wants to be our everything. And did you know that when that is the true reality of our hearts and our lives, it puts us in a place to be able to steward all of those other things like our material possessions, our accomplishments. It puts them in their proper place so that we never look to those things to be our savior but they filter through Christ. And then what becomes the reality of our life is that every part of our life becomes an opportunity to bear witness to who Christ is in our life. When we get the center right, when we exchange our sin, our heart, even our good stuff, and we receive his grace. Who wants to exchange today? You say, Chatty, I I wanna do that today. whether you're on the spectrum of I am the farthest from God or you're like, man, I know I'm not far from God, but I've lost love, I've lost friendship, I've, I've lost fellowship. I'm, 
I've been relying, I've been busy building my own kingdom, and I want you to know that he wants to give you actually what you really long for. He just knows it's only gonna be found in him. And so if that's you, would you just stand with me? We just wanna exchange that for his truth, for his grace, for his reality today. And then we'll all stand. Praise you, Lord. Lord, we just stand this morning, this afternoon, Lord. We exchange We say yes to the divine exchange that you emptied yourself so that we could be filled with you. We say yes this morning, oh God, from turning, not just from the really bad stuff, although we do our sin, God, we also turn from the good stuff, the things that we look to and rely on more than we rely on you. We even want to exchange those things so that we can receive the fullness of you, of your grace, of your salvation, of your power. And Lord, I pray for my family. I pray for myself. I pray that we would never, ever, ever lose the wonder of the reality of what we've really received when we exchanged our bondage and sin and even our good stuff and what we've received in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you put such a gratitude, such a uh, vibrancy in our hearts that it would be obvious to our neighbors, to our spouses, our friends, our children, our grandkids, in our workplaces, Lord, everywhere we go, that we would be a people that are ablaze with thanksgiving because whatever were to my prophets or gains compared to Christ, they're garbage, but I've got Christ. I'm now actually rich in a currency that doesn't fluctuate with the market. And so, Father, I pray that your riches of your mercy and love would be poured out on our church and that we would be those people that would go from this place and we would disperse and dispense the riches of your love in a generation that's impoverished, that's begging and longing and trying to fill the void with every other thing. Lord, would you give us courage to say, be filled with Christ. You can trade your sin for his salvation. You can do it. He's exchanging ashes for beauty even today. So Father, fill this church, fill us, Cornerstone people. May our lives be a sign and a wonder of what it looks like to be people who live out the great exchange. We love you and we praise you. We thank you, God, that you are good. You want us to be full and filled and vibrant, but Lord, it's found in you. So we drink of you this day. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' holy, matchless name. And everybody said, amen. amen.